0: Hello and welcome to Leaders to Go, a podcast series brought to you by Sports Business Journal, Leaders in Sport, and the Esports Observer. My name is Chris Hanna and I'm the founder and CEO of the Esports Observer. Right now, you are listening to Conquering Geek Culture, and together with my guests, I will examine how digital entertainment and popular culture impact the sports and esports industry. Hear from the leaders who spearheaded culture and the ones driving it today and learn what you need to know in order to not lose touch with today and tomorrow. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Conquering Geek Culture. And today I'm joined by Nicole Pike. Hi Nicole.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: You called me out on LinkedIn, uh, righteously (laughs) righteously so. Um, And I think I did you this. asked
1: for the feedback, right? I did. I
0: did. I was, I was putting together. So I, I asked our designer to put together like, you know, 10 episodes, let's put together all the people we had on the show. And when I saw the picture, I'm like, that's going to be a problem <laughs> because it's, it's all, it's all, um, you know, more or less white middle-aged man. Yeah. And th- then I asked, then I asked for feedback and I was actually waiting for people to call me out. You did, um. I, I honestly appreciate this. And we had some interactions. I'm not sure if we had so many, but I hope that you know that I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, so. gosh, it was, and, and I preface my comment at the very beginning of it by saying, like, you had great people. I mean, all, each one of the people that you spoke to had a real reason to be on the show, right? So it's it's not like the content um, suffered, but yeah, obviously, it's it's a hot topic in gaming in general yep. kind of diversity and representation so always uh try to put a good word in for the females
0: <laughs> no it's awesome and uh, thanks for being here and i mean yeah, you've, of
1: course i'm excited
0: you've you've been working with gaming like which which sounds like almost like forever so you did 13 years <laughs> at nielsen
1: yeah exactly and now, and yeah. now you're at
0: UGov, so yep. yeah. like do you want to do you want to just want to walk me through what you did at nielsen and kind of how your career went down
1: Yeah, let's do it. So um, I started on like the CPG brand side of Nielsen and and did that for a few years. And then we were looking at ways of taking a lot of like the predictive forecasting work that we did in CPG and moving it over to entertainment. And um, gaming kind of popped up as this opportunity. It was kind of a cool time in the industry. It was like 2006, 2007. Um, So the Wii had come out and all of a sudden people are like, whoa, like someone other than teenagers in their parents' basement actually want to play video games. We have no idea what kind of content to give them. We don't know what they like. We don't know why they bought this thing in the first place. And it kind of was a, a you know, it turned the industry on its head a little bit and trying to figure out, all right, like how how do we become bigger and broader? And Obviously, you know, it's paid huge dividends today with how ubiquitous gaming is. Um, but it was a really good time for research, right? Because all of a sudden, you had this whole new group of consumers that needed a voice and wanted content in the marketplace. So we were able to from that build like a a gaming specific business at Nielsen so I helped to start and grow that over 10 years um worked with you know everyone from hardware manufacturers software publishers mobile gaming companies which also just came out of nowhere during that time right um so it was a, a really fun kind of dynamic time to to start being in the gaming business um and and then you know, a few years ago, esports you know started to pop up more and more in conversations we were having with clients, and and then with our sports team as well, from more of the sponsorship angle. So, we took a look at it and said, you know what, there's an opportunity. Like, the industry is here to stay. It's real. It's growing, and it needs data. It needs you know transparent, third party, impartial data to help just, you know, fund, fund its growth and success. So, um, started that business and, uh, did that for a few years and then, yeah, now, uh, uh I guess in June, so literally right in the middle of the pandemic, um, <laughs> the, the height of the pandemic, I guess we're still in the middle of it, um, unfortunately, but, uh, moved over to, to YouGov, um, and, you know, the way I, I look at that is YouGov sees gaming as a huge priority in terms of, you know, being able to, provide data and analytics to marketers, brands, you know, companies in the gaming space. And, and for me personally, I've seen how much data, even just in the few years, you know, I started the, the business at Nielsen on the esports side, how much data did help to like expand things. So for me, it's if, okay, if we can create new sources, additional sources that are incremental to what's already out there, that's just going to help the industry. So it's kind of become my personal mission. And I'm lucky to have been able to find multiple places to continue doing that.
0: And you're a global sector head for esports and gaming at UGov yes, right now. So, exactly. what do you do? Like, what kind of data do you provide? <laughs> like, why do you do this? And, you know, how, what's what's your mission there right now, really?
1: Yeah. So, the first thing, you know, when UGov approached me and was asking specifically about esports because, um, you know, there's a huge sports business over here, um, I said, esports is great and I want to do that, but I want this role to be gaming as well because I just, you know, thinking about just the, the massive, size of the industry, the number of opportunities, the, the number of like opportunities that aren't kind of that core you know, shooter or violent kind of, you know, what, that esports obviously to a certain extent has and that a lot of brands just kind of automatically count themselves out of. Like bigger gaming is such an untapped opportunity and I think in the next five years it's going to continue to be that. So I said like it needs to be an esports and gaming role and we need one person Leading both of those at the same time to to make them bigger and grow together. Um, so so yeah, now it's you know the sector head position that you is cool because it's all about having someone across strategy, right? So we you know we have client service teams and researchers and and all that. But my specific goal is to look at what we offer across the company and its portfolio. And make sure that we're creating the right data, the right products to support the gaming industry and to support anyone who wants data in the gaming industry. So I get to be a lot more strategic, a lot less kind of day to day tactical, but really thinking about you know, how do we form partnerships, how do we create new data streams, um, all that good stuff. So it's, um, yeah, I like that kind of like taking a step back and thinking of how, you know, if, if we can start from scratch, which I essentially get to do here, like, how do we make something that's that's really going to benefit the industry and, and be value
0: add? Uh, sounds exciting. Yeah. Sp- specifically yeah. <laughs> like building, building it from scratch. And I like that you put gaming and esports kind of you know in, in one bucket, so to say, because you know you often see these images where like esports is the kind of tip of the gaming iceberg, and if you look at the right. pyramid, right, it's the super competitive segment, but like gaming as gaming is massive. Yes. And I, recent, I recently had an interview. Where, you know, someone said, oh, yeah, it's going to be the first like a trillion dollar entertainment industry, like at one point, like not tomorrow, but, you know, it's definitely going to accelerate and it's going to overtake everything. Um, Absolutely. I think think that's exciting.
1: Yeah. I mean, the like global paper we just put out, almost every country, you know, you're up to like 70% of adults, 18 plus gaming in some way, shape or form. Like that's a crazy percent. I can't think of, you know, other than like watching just some random programming on TV, like I can't think of anything else that's that far reaching across that many different demographics, which is a very different kind of view than eSports, which is in its own right, very valuable, but a, you know, a very narrow demographic, a very kind of like targeted. So it's, it's cool to see each of those on, on their own, both doing really well and, and having value to marketers.
0: And I heard a person say once that, you know, gaming is so successful because it's more like lean in entertainment versus lean back entertainment. So you get mm-hmm. to drive the story like and i mean you're doing this for so many years what do you think makes it so successful
1: yeah that's a really good question so um i think i i think that makes a lot of sense right like the the more hands on the the kind of creating something so whether you are a competitive person and you get that kind of like I'm, I'm gonna win aspect out of things or whether you're a person who likes to see like that you've spent your time doing something and, and building something and have something to show for it like gaming kind of has multiple angles that can um that can connect to either of those. Um, I actually think the reason it's become so successful and and so broad reaching in the last several years, um, obviously accessibility just with mobile. I mean, it's everyone, almost everyone in the world has a gaming device at their fingertips now, right? Um, With with mobile phones. So I think just kind of that like, just the, the level playing field that mobile technology has brought has just been huge to bring, um the industry, especially in, in the Eastern world. Um, but I also think the social aspect of gaming is something that like, especially when you look at younger generations and how much time they're spending on, you know, watching live gaming content and, you know, just hanging out within gaming um, mm. environments, like a uh, Fortnite or something like that. Like it, it's just it's the ability to connect with people, whether it's people, you know, and you're just doing it virtually or people that you don't know, but you form a community. Like, I think that's really continued to, to help gaming um, grow and, and for it to reach so many people. It's sweet. We're social people by nature. <laughs> so um, an outlet to do that. That's convenient. Like slam dunk. <laughs>
0: it's funny. I just remember my mom, like not understanding that you can't pause Online games, right? And when you're going, uh, you're, I don't know, you play World of Warcraft, you're, you're playing with like 30 other people, 39 actually, yeah. right? It's like, I, I can't leave right now. Yeah, I know it's right. going on for forever already, but I, I can't just leave. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, so I totally get the social aspect. Um, when, when you look at your field right now, where do you draw the line, you know, like what a gamer is? Because often you talk to people like, hey, you, you're a gamer? Oh no, I'm not because you know you feel like you get the stigma of being a gamer. Yeah. But then, you, then you look at people's like mobile phones and they all have like I don't know even a Candy Crush or something on there. Like, do you look at that as well? Like, where do you where do you draw your lines?
1: Yeah, I mean they're it's very different kind of cohorts of gaming, but I consider any and, and everyone um, that's, you know, consuming or, or playing that type of content, a gamer. So yeah, I mean, to me, uh, and my mother-in-law who plays Candy Crush every, you know, every day, like to me, she's as much of a gamer as, um, you know, someone who's logging, you know, 40 hours a week at World of Warcraft or something, right? It's, it's a different form of, of gaming, you know, gameplay and, and consumption, but it's still kind of that inherent, like, there's it's a form of entertainment but to your point is interactive and I think you know what what is needed to kind of make sure that all of those different segments are thought of as gamers is like more data to understand each of them right so yes they're all gamers but you could never like run a campaign if you're a marketer or create a game that's gonna like hit every gamer and, and be satisfying to them right so it's more about like yeah everyone's a gamer in the same way they're you know however many billion tv households around the world but that doesn't mean that you know five tv programs are gonna capture everybody so it's more about kind of like understanding what motivates people what what they like and what engages them and then you, you know hopefully we grow the gamer base even more because of that
0: with all the years you locked into working with gaming do you actually play games so like are you are you like in, in your private time, like are you engaged in gaming as well?
1: So not not so much anymore. I've got a um I've got a six, almost seven year old and, and four-year-old. Um and so first we like hid the PlayStation from my my son because we were like, oh my gosh, once he finds out we have a PlayStation, like it's over. And his cousin found it. And like he was like, he looked at us like there's a gaming system in the house. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, so before kids, we used to, I admittedly, it was not like an e um, type game gamer. So more on, you know, like FIFA, um, my husband did a lot of Call of Duty racing games. I you know, like, you know, love the classic, like Need for speed series and, and all that good stuff. Um, so it was more along those lines. But now our our household does play old school Mario Kart on a Wii a lot. That's my my son's game of choice. So if he plays outside and, you know, checks all the boxes that mom makes him do before he gets to play, then that's his reward. Um, So he wakes up Saturday mornings asking for that. Um, So yeah, we've we've kind of devolved there. Um, But I'm trying to guess or figure out now when to get one of the new gaming consoles because it feels weird to not go out and buy one of those right away so that's uh maybe that's on the christmas list if we can get our hands
0: <laughs> <laughs> on so, so if anyone's if anyone watching this or listening to this and it's probably not you know deeply engaged in gaming or doesn't really understand the space yet what do people have to know like what do you think is the most important thing to know about gaming you mentioned social you know the social aspect with it yeah. but so what are what are the components that people need to understand when they look at gaming and esports
1: uh, that's a good question. I mean, gaming versus esports, I would say, are kind of completely different in terms of what people need to understand, right? So the, the first thing that I try to do is kind of help help delineate people for to help them understand, like, how people can interact with gaming content. And to me, there's kind of like three main ways that people can do that. They can... Um, play competitively and professionally which to your point is that like tip of the iceberg right so a very very small group of people um that that are actually participating in it on their own um they can watch gaming content which to me i consider as part of the gaming industry i'm sure the streaming content industry considers that part of them but to me it's all about like what is the subject of the content that people are consuming? Um, so there's, you know, that whole, so whether it's, you know, watching streamers on Twitch or watching e competitions, but it's kind of like gaming as a form of visual entertainment, not interactive entertainment. Um, and then there's broader gaming, which is you personally are playing, not because you're a professional, but just because you're, you know, you, you like to game, playing either on your own or with a group. So that's like, I feel like, those of us that work in the industry sometimes take for granted that those are, you know, that that we kind of know how those three different cohorts interact with each other and, and what they look like. But um, that's the first thing I start with and talking to people, and they say like, "Hey, I want to talk about esports." I'm like, "All right, what do you think esports is?" So let's make sure that we're on the same page, mm-hmm. right? And and then you know, on the flip side, if you're a brand and saying, "Hey, I want to get into gaming," like, "All right, let's make sure we're looking at all those different aspects because they're they're very different in terms of you know how you would interact with an audience or who the audience is. It's even engaging with them."
0: So are you a pure data provider or do you help brands you know actually like plan well at least you know the the rough activation so help them understand what the angles are so where does your work stop really
1: Yeah that's a good question um historically ugov has been more focused on just kind of the the providing data to help plan and, and to help track and measure performance um and and less on kind of like the consulting element of things um, but one of the things that we're starting to do with this new sector head role because again sector heads you know it's not like we're you know, managing clients day-to-day is to bring in a bit more of kind of that consultative view on things um and and helping you know our existing clients who have um, and who are subscribing to and, and ingesting the data we have around like profiling consumers and understanding audiences and then tracking the performance of brands, um, you know, among consumers all over the world. Like there's, there's obviously a ton of like great nuggets of data in there that someone who knows the industry and the data can pull out you know, in many cases, more than, you know, maybe someone of the client. So we are starting to kind of layer a bit more of that kind of consultative element, or at least offer on to clients. Um, Because I think that's important. Um, It's it's, it's one thing that I've consistently seen with esports is it's you know, you it's not always an esports expert that on the brand side gets put into a role to kind of carry all of that out, right? And and then sometimes an agency's involved and sometimes the agency has experience or doesn't. So it's so all over the board that to me, if you know, if, if there are opportunities to be able to add some consult on top, like that's what our clients need and, and ultimately that's also what the industry needs to make sure the activations are being done in a smart way.
0: Yeah, I like what you said before, because if you speak to, I don't know, 15 different people, you ask them what esports is, what gaming is, where they draw the line, you know, what the segments and cohorts are, you get 15 different answers.
1: Yeah. So a a yeah. lot of
0: people look at things very, very differently. So I totally like this. Let's get on one page, you know, and then yeah. let, let's start from there. Um, and the one question we always get asked is, you know, you look, at, you look at these big activations, you see Riot Games doing this crazy stuff with Louis Vuitton. you have these, you know, mm-hmm. in-game skins, like all the big things. But that's really expensive by now. So yeah. <laughs> the, one, the one question we always get is, what is an angle? How can I start? And how can I probably start on a, let's say, smaller budget? Let's not talk about yeah. like, you know, right money, but let's talk about any other angles. Like, do you have any, any recommendation? Is there any, any opinion you have on this? Like, how do people actually engage with it if they don't want to go, go all in? You know, they just want to test, observe.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it's a great question. And I actually think a lot of what has happened since COVID has created a ton of opportunity, a ton more opportunities um, than, than we've seen. There have been so many organizations within esports that have moved to kind of becoming online tournament providers and and, you know competition creators um just because that number one there was demand for it and and number two some of their old business models just during this time weren't working so they had to innovate and luckily there's a lot of innovative people in esports so it it works out well um but there are now like so many tournaments whether it's amateur or semi-pro um where there's, you know, there's event coordinators that are doing a great job putting on and creating fantastic content, but it's not, you know, the world champions of the biggest game in the world, like uh, League of Legends, right? So it, it becomes more affordable. Um, I think the caution there that I will often give to brands, I think those, those opportunities are great. And um, a lot of those kind of smaller rights holders have avid audiences who you can engage with. But what I... Try to warn people against is just doing like a, a one and done um, because to me so much of i mean you you well know as well as I that the word authentic is just thrown around like crazy around here and, uh, in in this industry, but to me it's more about like having a conversation. And it's really hard to have a conversation with fans and like resonate with them and get your point across and your reason for being across if you sponsor one tournament on one day for two hours and then disappear. So that's I think where's kind of sometimes those small things can go wrong because you don't get the best of the fans and and also the brand doesn't really see what esports is it's it's just more of like a you know it's basically like a glorified advertisement um so I think looking at you know if, if you've got a smaller budget looking at something that's less expensive and maybe smaller scale from a viewership perspective but still has a season to it or has an ongoing series or something like that is a great way to to jump in because then you're getting kind of like the essence of what it's like to talk to fans um without yeah paying you know nearly traditional sport prices (laughs) in some cases for some of the biggest properties in the world
0: (laughs) and that's interesting so because if you look at um sports look at the big leagues like the nfl the nba all that like esports not there yet and i know that there's a couple of leagues that you know try to become this and build it after that model and that Mm -hmm. works more or less like i'm I'm not gonna judge this now Sure. but like the esports audience to me always appears to be extremely vocal specifically mm-hmm. if you look at like you look at twitter you look at instagram like you look at you know the comments like they know they're being advertised to if they don't like your advertisement they will let you know and i'm sure they let yes. you know in sports too but do you feel that brands are sometimes afraid to go into a dialogue with the audience because it's just different from what they know and they probably don't know how to deal with i don't know this massive backlash they might get on certain things
1: yes definitely um i think that it. That has all improved over time because there are more and more big, successful brands getting in and doing a good job and and especially non-endemics, right, showing that they can have a voice and a place in the space like a a MasterCard or, you know, something that may not feel intuitive, um, but they've created... A reason for being and existing alongside esports, and it's worked really well. Um, so I do think it's gotten better, but yeah, absolutely, there are brands that are just scared off either by the the kind of not how, knowing how to talk to people, talk to the audience standpoint, or just the complexity that is esports in general, and not understanding. That's kind of that combination, right? Of like, okay, I, I really don't even understand what I'm getting into, and then everyone tells me I've got to be careful. Like, too many, you know, too many traps there. I'm gonna Avoid it. Um, so, so yeah, I definitely see that. I think, uh, especially on the kind of you know talking authentically to the audience perspective, this is where I push back on the industry a little bit, frankly, and say like, hey, like that's one thing that every rights holder, every team, like does know how to do is to talk to their fan base and their audience. And, and so, for any clients that I've consulted um, in in the past on that side of things, it's like you've got to go out there and you know you've got to lean in and have ideas for content creation, have ideas for the storyline between, um, you know, why, why that brand belongs there, um, and, and show them that like, you're going to go the extra mile to do it because then, you know, once, once you get that brand in and you can start to kind of partner, like it's going to get easier, but, you've got it. You have to be the one that helps the brand put the rest foot forward with your audience. Um, and I think for some esports organizations, especially teams that are, you know, running lean and mean in many cases, like that's a little bit scary and it's a big undertaking, but in my opinion, that's where things have worked the best is when the rights holder team is, is really kind of helping the brand to drive the conversation. And the brand is confident and comfortable enough to like let the reins go and say, I trust you, which is also hard sometimes. right?
0: <laughs> well, I, ca- I can't imagine it's not, it's not that easy specifically, if you're like a let's say bigger non-endemic brand uh, because you have a certain image and it's super super hard super hard to just be like okay you know you go and do it and we're gonna we're gonna trust you and support you yeah yeah, i can i can definitely see that (laughs) so what are some of the trends you're seeing right now and i mean you've probably seen a lot of trends already And you mentioned mobile gaming you know came like almost out of nowhere and now it's a massive thing what else do you see right now happening to the to the industry like are any specific movements you're observing more closely
1: yeah i mean the big thing that i've had my eye on and i can't i haven't decided yet if COVID is i I feel like COVID is maybe slowing it a bit um but i think it's just going to be massive and, and admittedly it's a bit more kind of stateside focus is collegiate um i just think there's such an opportunity and and a demand there, both from the kind of player and audience perspective from the universities who are super like anxious and and eager to find a way to bring esports into the fold and to brands, um, especially like, you know, one of the, the things that's always hard about esports is finding a way to get like a regional um brand or kind of like location driven brand into esports without them feeling like they're wasting money on reaching a bunch of people that would never be in the market for their product so i think there's also like from a financial viability perspective um, huge opportunity in collegiate because you can get more locally focused and bring brands into the conversation that never would have considered esports otherwise so i'm super super bullish on collegiate and i'm excited to see um, i mean ncaa been pretty clear and saying like they don't really want to kind of get involved yet but to me that's exciting because that means some of these rights holders and publishers like riot who's already stepped in they're going to start coming up with some really like cool creative models and i'm excited just to see a bit of trial and error um in that industry but i i just think like that's the next huge opportunity and i'm sure amateur will follow after that um but yeah that's one that i've got my eyes on for sure
0: well, I mean, I asked you a couple of questions and like, what do you want to talk about? Is there anything else that you want people to know? Is there anything else that you want people to know where you feel like, you know, that's something I really want to put out, like people need to consider this. And I mean, we talked a little bit about what, what you think people need to know about esports, but is there anything that you, that we haven't touched on yet where you feel like I definitely need to say this, like people need to be aware of this.
1: I don't know about that, but I was trying to think ahead of time of what you'd ask me. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I, I expected at some point a question around kind of like hot titles or, or what's happening oh. with some of the, you know, leagues coming up. And, and I, I still, like I still, ha- I still <laughs> have <laughs> this.
0: I still have this. If you want to talk about this? I do have this on my list. I didn't, I didn't want to put you on, on the spot too much. Um, no,
1: you're fine. Uh, but how do you,
0: how do you, um, but then, but then let's, let's, you know, sl- like turn this a little bit, like, how do you look yeah. at titles? Like how do you measure titles and what makes a title successful in your eyes?
1: Yeah. Um, it's, in in esports, it's, um, I feel like difficult sometimes because if you look at and, and you know very well that I've been very passionate about, um, audience measurement and like the right metrics and, you know, kind of making sure that the people are using that to lead the conversation about games and that sort of thing. But I, I, actually don't think the audience is the only thing. I think you have to talk about your audience in the right way, but it's not the only thing that, that matters. Um, I think, you know, more and more, it's as much about um, like the the ongoing engagement. I go back to this kind of like conversation, right, with fans. And to me, like you could get really great viewership for one event a year, but if all your, you know, if all the kind of lead up or you know regular play is barely getting engagement from fans, fans are looking to consume content in between match days and things like that, then to me, like I'm, I'm starting to look at success measurement more and more in, in that way as well is like how, like how must see and must read and much watch is anything and everything that has to do with a particular esports property, whether it's a league or a team or a title, um, where like the, the fans just can't get enough of it. Right. And that to me is kind of like shows, shows ongoing potential for things. Um, so, I mean, when I, look at you know something like that I think um like I'm super excited to see what happens with Call of Duty League coming up I think um there's there's a lot of buzz about it but there's also the new Cold War game coming out which is going to be super exciting I think it's and and then with the new consoles like I think there's going to be a lot of just like fans being super excited about all things Call of Duty that I think could really lead into some cool momentum i mean they've already had momentum here towards the end of the season but for the lead coming up and then you add in that thieves are back in it which is a cool storyline where you get the kind of like okay what in traditional sport what makes someone tune in and excited to come in and, and see what's going to happen like storyline is a big part of it right so you're going to have that um so so yeah like i think that's um something really exciting to to watch for. It. i think so much of that comes to that kind of like engagement factor
0: so how do you measure this engagement? Is that like conversation on Twitter? Is that conversations on Reddit? Like what are the platforms? How do people do that? How do people do what you just explained?
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's super hard. Um, it's, you know, there's so many different platforms that conversation is happening on and it's nearly impossible to like deduplicate that. I've always said, um, up, I've told you this before, but like my perfect e-sports metric to figure out like the success of a particular title or property or team would be the number of the average number of touch points per fan per week that are that you know that each fan has so if, if you've got a fan that is engaging with you know their favorite team that plays in a league plus the content plus the match and they're doing it on like six different platforms like that engagement point could be like 50 engagements per week. Like that's what I think mm-hmm. is, would be the right and best measurement. The problem is like getting that at an individual deduplication. level. It's so impossible to do. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's also like the reason that so there's so much success and it's such a fun area to be in is because people are having these conversations in so many places, but the flip side is from a measurement perspective, it's just horrible <laughs> to try to figure that out. Right. But like, to me, it's it's, figuring that out so like when I look at like sure you know volumes on on social media is useful um I, I can't stand when people add up all their social media followers like across everything I'm like they're all the same like you can't you can't do that it's, <laughs> but what happens
0: happens to- happens all the time like and yes. I, I'm, I'm sorry to say this but you look at you look at some like team pitches and it's all like we got x million followers like yeah but if you dedupe them you know, it's right. probably it's probably a lot less yes, than the same exactly. people following you on multiple platforms. So I totally, right. I totally get that. I think it's horrible. But people like big numbers, right? So right. you want, you want yeah. big numbers.
1: The problem is when everyone just throws out big numbers, then like the big numbers don't impress anymore. Um, I remember talking to one brand and they said, if I get one more team pitch that says that their team has the best social following in esports in the world, I'm going to like just get out of this industry altogether because there's no like standard way to do it so everyone's just saying it's them and like making up their own way of calculating it um but anyways that's that, that's beside the point um i'm trying to even think i, I feel like i had one more point to make on that but i don't know i got yeah, i didn't i didn't oh, i didn't want to
0: i didn't want to kill i didn't want <laughs> to kill your thought process no but, I, but you just said that i think that's horrible and i think that if you look at it, so the main challenge i see with this is that the real numbers then don't impress anyone. Like the big numbers right. don't do that anymore, but then you, you have someone who says, this is what we have. And people are like, yeah, but that's like, we don't even look at this, right? And right. I mean, there's yeah. you, see of, you see a lot of like viewership inflation where, you know, auto play streams somewhere embedded or it's the same with videos, right? You go to a website, video starts, you hit the stop button because you're annoyed by this, but then they still count it as a view and be like, right. oh, exactly. we got so many views on our stuff. Like, no, nah, actually you don't, you just auto play this and people stop it because they don't care
1: right you know, and yeah. it becomes and that's, even annoying right and that's where it comes down to you know a lot of what i was really pushing i mean the whole like average minute audience thing which is not necessarily the way to measure like vod content but for live viewership at mm. least like that takes that into account right if you've got you know a million people who are watching 0.5 seconds of something like that's going to show through um when you're when you're doing a calculation like that um but i remember the other thing i was going to say quickly on the social pieces i like to look at the percent of followers who are engaging mm-hmm. on an, with an average post, right? Because to me, that gives it a bit more of like, yeah, it could be really cool to, you know, be following on, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever team, but if no one's ever actually like, you know, giving feedback or, or engaging, then it doesn't really matter. That's not valuable to a brand. That's not necessarily, you know, valuable to you as a rights holder, so A lot of the analysis that I've done for like teams in particular in the past focuses on that and it also like that helps to actually uncover what you can do because that's the other thing if you just got like oh 12 million people viewed this it's like okay great like what what can I do out of that but if you can say oh you know we had we have this many followers but only eight percent engaged with this brand sponsored post then if you compare that to competitors it's more like 25 like well, that's a big deal. That's something that you know you need to like, you know, figure out and and solve for. So it's more of like not just metrics because you feel like you have to measure, but metrics that will actually help to improve you moving
0: forward. And I'm shamelessly going to plug something into this right now because like I I just <laughs> and I just today you know published something myself where it's where it's about that. And what I think is really annoying is that a lot of brands don't speak the language of their audience. So you have a brand mm-hmm. that does a great job. You know they can be hardware providers. They do you know they they provide great pieces of hardware, they support the industry. But then when you see that they're working with a team or they're working with a player, mm-hmm. it's, it's always this weird voice like, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. look at this Ram. This Ram is amazing. And I'm going to build this into my computer and it's going to help me play better. It's like, why, you know, just, right. just say that you're using this or, you know, just plug it somehow, but don't, don't start talking weird. And people immediately realize like, Oh, wow. So that's not how Nicole speaks. Like that's like, whatever right. i'm just going i'm just going to ignore yeah. this it's it's good that she does it because she earns money but you know let's ignore this because who cares and and yeah. i just feel like i i just feel this is one of the things and i see this more often now specifically also on instagram like you see some of these posts and you feel like that's horrible like i'm not i'm not going to buy into this at all
1: right yeah oh for sure um it's i mean I feel like Instagram especially there has been many like things that are outed where it's basically like you can it's it, literally a post has been written for someone and they're being paid to just like copy paste it right on on their own feed so yeah and i mean to the point we we're talking about earlier like that's the stuff that like fan like it's not going to make fans like revolt and never watch a particular, you know, team's content or not follow them anymore, or stop watching a league, but sure it's not gonna drive purchase, which that's what a brand wants ultimately, right? Um so so that is, you know, that, that's also why it becomes more and more important to, you know, continue to measure impressions and, you know, logo counting and, and things like that. But also like we we need to better understand what what that's actually doing in terms of consumer purchase. Um Cause that's the ultimate goal for, for a brand. And even if you feel like the price that you're getting for the number of impressions is great. Like if in a year or two, you're not seeing any impact on your bottom line, then it wasn't great at all. Right. And um, I think that's, I mean, that's certainly one of the things that, um, not, not that you led me right into a kind of a pitch of what we're doing, but certainly that's one of the things that I working on undoing here at UW is enabling more always-on measurement across a lot more metrics um, so that we can see, so that if you're a brand you can see exactly how something's working, what levers it's pulling um, within esports, and, and you can figure that out after a big weekend, after a big activation, in downtime when there's nothing going on, to see, you know, how much ground you lose um, in the off-season that you have to ramp back up. All the above to just be a lot more diagnostic about like okay let's not commit to a two-year deal and then at the end of two years cross our fingers that we saw something like let's really make sure that we're optimizing it and putting you know making the most of that two million along the way
0: i like that um so if you watched the show before you know what the last question is going to be um here we are yeah. if you, so if you haven't it's a big surprise um <laughs> more off topic so can you give me one piece of advice um, that you've gotten, can be in private life, can be in business, that you would want to give to people? Like what's the best advice you've ever gotten?
1: Let's see. Um, so I got I one of my mentors um back at, at Nielsen gave me a piece of advice that I feel like has, has stuck with me because I've been lucky enough to be at the at the beginning of a lot of businesses, right? You know, helped to start our games business, helped to start our esports business. Came over to Utah and helped start this. And you know, he always told me like, people are going to give you a number that you need to reach. And you know, when you're starting out, that number is never going to be right. You know, people are going to have an expectation. It's so never going to be the right expectation. And even if it is, at the end, if you blow it away, people are going to say it was too low. And if you don't hit it, you know, people are going to say it was too like. They're basically like success if you measure your success uh you know through other people's eyes it's always a moving target that always that can you know often like work against you so it's you know he you know his recommendation to me is like you know as you continue to start new businesses like you're entrepreneurial and like you just need to believe in the fact that you're gonna work your tail off and you know that you're gonna make you know whatever it is that you're making the best and like don't worry about the results if you put it in you'll get, you know, you'll, you'll get out exactly what was meant to and you'll be successful. So for me that, you know, I, I've been lucky to have a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities, but I don't necessarily think of myself as a risk taker. Um, so for me that, that always kind of runs in the back of my mind is like, it, it doesn't matter. You don't have to constantly be measuring yourself. You just have to like, do your best, you know, do great work and keep going. So I like
0: that one. <laughs> it worked out, obviously. Like, yeah, you know, so, 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 so far so good. Yeah. A, a piece. <laughs> well, so now's the time for you to pluck all your pluckables. Like, what do you, what do you have? Where can I get it? How can people mm-hmm. get in touch with you? Um, anything, anything you want to share, anything you want people to do?
1: cool yeah so we just put out um a white paper on esports and gaming the first white paper that that you ever had i actually just got an email earlier today that it's the most successful white paper released by you of all time so obviously e-sports congratulations and is, thanks yeah it's um i mean it's it's a total validation of why we're in the space and and you know i'm glad that so many people, marketers, whoever, academics, anybody and everybody that I've, I've seen download It's just excited to learn more about the industry and you know, what, what the opportunity is and who all these gamers we've been talking about today are. So, um, that's out at, you know, if you go to yougov.com, um, and look, it's in like the insights area. Um, there's the ability to download it it's like 50 pages of free content so why not right (laughs) yeah
0: free free is always good like free information is always good
1: exactly i've already Um, i've
0: already seen it and it's i like it what can i say
1: appreciate it there you go vote of confidence um so yeah we've got that going we'll have a webinar going um i'm you know on linkedin so nicole pike um, look for me on LinkedIn. I'm always trying to post like some interesting data and, and tidbits of what we're doing at UGov, and, and trying to kind of use, use the advantage we have of having kind of like always on real-time data to just put out numbers about things that are interesting and relevant to people and um and and hoping to do a lot more of that coming up and then the last thing that i'll kind of quick plug that's coming up is we have um, a cool paper coming out on um toxicity and discrimination in esports and gaming with a major esports team um, that we've done in collaboration with them. So I'm not going to totally spill the beans here because I haven't gotten approval, but, um, that should be in in the next few months. And I'm super excited to just, I mean, data for good. Like we, we, we all need to be doing that more. And I'm in a position to be able to, you know, own, own and release that data. And, um, and very lucky to have a team that partnered with us who cares a lot about that as well so i'm super excited to just kind of see the reception coming out for that so so
0: when that comes out are you going to come back and we talk about it
1: let's do it yeah yeah and i'll have a friend from one of the teams um on as well well it's i mean that's what your post it was like funny timing right um when you had that because we're literally like in the midst of digging through all this data and i was like well this is very, very apropos. So, yeah, would love to. There's some really interesting findings um, that that we're seeing around, like especially what people, like how people are responding in terms of altering their own gaming behavior, their aspirations to be a gamer, to be, you know, a professional in the gaming industry, based on what they're experiencing. In many cases, at pretty young ages. So it's it's going to be really cool. Why
0: well, it's a great time to be alive. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in gaming. That long, if you look at my my whole career. But the thing is, I never considered it to be a career path, you know. Yeah. So oh. I follow I followed gaming. Sure. I played games. Like I, you know, I I did the things you can do. But I never really considered it to be a, an industry where you can actually go in, you know, make money, build build cool stuff. Because it was always like more these for me it was more like this leisure activity.
1: Right. And, exactly. and now all of
0: all of a sudden, you see all these jobs popping up, and you know, people are like. So what can I do? Like you can literally do anything. Like you can be an accountant. Like you can do anything. Right. People, yeah, exactly. people basically need, need everything. So, you know, yeah, it's just, its own ecosystem just go and do now. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think it's, it really benefits from kind of the mix of people who have grown up with gaming their entire lives and people who haven't and have like an outsider's role and, and perspective to play in the industry. So I feel like it's you know very equal opportunity in that sense as well.
0: Cool. And I know time's never enough. Like we could go on forever, I feel. But I really appreciate you coming on. And course, like when you have when me. you have that when you have that other data out, like let me know. Yeah. And let's definitely talk about this because I think this is something that people don't talk a lot about, and there's not there's not so much data really on it, right? So I feel it's super hard to get solid data on these kind of topics. Um. So yeah, you're on. That's it.
1: Awesome. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. What, what can you do? Like you can not do anything. Cool. Well,
1: great. Thank you very much Thanks for being for having here. Having me. Yes. This was super fun. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, thanks.
0: Bye. Bye (laughs) Bye-bye.